Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, what it must have been like to hear those words in person. How upside down, how confusing, how radical, how subversive, how challenging and convicting it must have been for those first hearers. But it's no different for us. As we've walked these last many weeks, and as we have just read the whole text, we're confronted with your call to follow after you. We're confronted to live out the way of your kingdom as citizens of your kingdom when all around us, the world system, the empire, tries to help us, tries to make us live into that image. The world system calls us to fight and to put yourself first and to be rich and powerful and have influence. And Lord, you challenge all of those things. And you've challenged us to deny ourselves and take up your cross and follow after you. And that is not easy. It's hard and we fail all the time. But we're grateful for your forgiveness. We're grateful for your love for us. That even when we at times choose the wide road, the wide gate instead of the narrow, that you still love us. You still reach out to us. You still walk and call us into a deeper life, the life of your kingdom. And so, Lord, as we come off the mountain, so to speak, as we put our foot on the ground and begin to practice and begin to live into this citizenship of your kingdom, Lord, we can't do it alone. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to walk with us to convict us, to guide us, to show us how to live. Lord, we need each other so that when we think, man, we are crazy, the answer is, yeah, you probably are, but you're not alone. And so, Lord, as we finish this text, I pray that it has been a shaping time, a forming time, to be shaped and formed into the image and likeness of you, Jesus. And so help us to walk it out each day, day in and day out. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, it's been, believe it or not, a half a year. We started this citizenship series Sunday, July 9th. Think about where you were on Sunday, July 9th. Most of us were probably wearing shorts. It wasn't cold outside. That's when we started this. This this journey looking at Matthew 5 to 7 and and understanding, like, hey, why is this, in my opinion, the quintessential text of what it means, what it looks like to, to follow Jesus, to embody the way of the kingdom. To be, to be what we are calling a citizen. 
of Jesus' kingdom. To embody his life and his teachings and his mission and his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And did you notice I said his death too? Like, yeah, we, we model model his life, but don't, Jesus, don't call me to die. But he calls us to die too. Because without death, there is no resurrection. To die to self, there is no living into the kingdom. And so we've ascended this mountain. We've climbed the mountain. And that's one of my favorite things to do because usually when I climb a mountain, I'm, I'm sitting on a ski lift or a gondola because then I get to come down on my board. But we, we have hit the mountain. We sat down at the feet of the master teacher, Lord and Savior, and, and we've listened to him. We've listened to him talk about this crazy thing of saying, this is what it means to be blessed. And like, like, if that isn't just a quick smack in your face, I don't think you understand what he was saying. I mean, he said, hey, you know what it means to be blessed? And then he labels all these things, and, and I would have been like, um, Jesus, that's not blessed. That's like the opposite. To, to live as to salt and light, to have a heart that lives in congruency with his heart, to have our hands our heart and our head in total alignment with Jesus and his kingdom and with each other. To live a life of forgiveness and not holding grudges. That's hard, right? You just all celebrate around the table. It's hard as family to like forgive each other and not hold grudges. To be faithful and trustworthy in all of our relationships. Especially, especially the ones that are most significant. To embody the nonviolent, non-retaliatory, peaceable kingdom of Jesus and the way of Jesus. And to love your enemies. That's hard. I mean, if we're, if we're, if we're all honest, our enemies are kind of minor, right? We don't, like Jesus was talking about the Romans, and like you get out of line with the Romans, you end up on the cross. And he, everybody knew what he was saying. And we just go, well, they slighted me once. Or they insulted me. And yes, they may be your enemies. And yes, Jesus is calling to love them. But even those on a world stage, he calls us to love. And we've heard about the kingdom citizens who give to the needy, who pray, who fast, who don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven and a God who provides, a God who takes care, a God who says, you don't need to worry. And I go, excuse me? That might have been one of the most convicting parts for me because I worry all the time. Just ask my son. He knows. I worry too much. Because then I think I can control. If I worry, I control. And Jesus says, you don't control. When we can trust the Abba of Jesus, the Father of Jesus, who is good and wants our flourishing. 
And then we sit under him as he shares about not being judgmental and don't be condemning. And we go, man, ouch, get out of my head, Jesus. Because I can be judgmental and I condemn pretty quickly, even before I realize I'm doing it. Or am I the only one who has that problem? Ha ha. About praying and trusting, about entering this narrow gate and this narrow road versus the wide one that many follow. Instead, going into the narrow that leads to life and flourishing, and not only life and flourishing in your life, but in the life of others and in the world. about true and false prophets and true and false disciples and knowing people by their fruits or as a poet, Maya Angelou says, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. And so now we're stepping off of the mountain and we're putting our feet on that road and we have to choose what kind of tree we want to be. We want to choose what kind of fruit do we want to bear? How do we flesh out and embody the way of the kingdom, the way of Jesus as individuals, but, but together? Because if you think you can do this life like that alone, you're fooling yourself. We need each other and we need the spirit because this is so challenging. To, to give full allegiance to the way of the kingdom over and above all other allegiances, over nation-state, and over family, and over all things. That's hard. And we're about off the mountain, but Jesus says, don't go yet. I have one more thing to say to you. One more part that, according to a commentator that I read, This last part summarizes the entire of the Sermon on the Mount. The message is clear. Discipleship occurs in the everyday practice of Jesus' followers. It's about discipleship. It's about following him. Now, notice, in Matthew, the whole book, there are five major teaching blocks. There's Matthew 10 Matthew uh, 5 to 7, there's Matthew 10, Matthew 13, Matthew 18, and Matthew 23 to 25. Now, you're like, why, why are you telling me that? I want you to think about it. The first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the Torah, if you will, five books. Five teaching things in Matthew. There is a connection that Matthew is making. Think about it. Mountain, Pentateuch, Ten Commandments, Moses, going up on the mountain to receive. Here Jesus is on a mountain telling. There's a connection. I want you to hold that for a little bit. Because what, we're say- what Matthew is saying is like, Jesus is like, math- like Moses, but only better, only more so. There's all these connections. In fact, we're going to unpack some allusions in this text to the Pentateuch and to the wisdom literature, especially Proverbs. So, Matthew 7, 24 to 20, 29. And if you grew up in church and you grew up really little in church, you might remember. I don't remember the story. Yeah, Danny's doing the motions, right? 
I don't remember that too much, but I'm sure my wife does. <laughs> she, oh, yeah, she does. All right. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowd were, was amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So, last week, remember the conversation we had last week and all throughout the Sermon on Mount about being a fully integrated life. That the head, the heart, and the hands are in alignment with each other and in alignment with Jesus and the way of the kingdom. About the idea that, yes, we are, are supposed to have right belief or orthodoxy, but you're also supposed to have right action, which is orthopraxy, but you're also supposed to have right affections or orthopathy. All of those things coming together. And so Jesus is saying here in this story, in this parable, if you will, that we're to be like this man who not only hears the words that are being taught, but are putting it into practice. It is not just enough to believe the right things. I think I've said this before. When you stand before Jesus, he's not going to hand you a Scantron test sheet and a pencil, a number two pencil, and fill in the blanks. Virgin birth, yay or nay. Resurrection, physically, body, spirit. Like, it's not a theology exam. Probably ask you, what did you do to the least of these, my brothers, my sisters? So Jesus is saying here, put it into practice in your daily life to practice the way of Jesus, to follow in his footsteps. He says, just walk after the way I walk, to walk in those same footprints. To walk so closely that you're getting his dust kicked up on your legs. And to put your house, your life, all of it, on the rock of Jesus, who is secure and fast and a deep, deep foundation that is secure and unmovable. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We, if we build our lives on this rock, on this foundation of Jesus, if we place fully our trust, our whole life, and we say, Jesus, I want to build my life, I want to put my house on your rock. If we put our belief, if we put our affections, if we put our whole self, we even have our affections changed. A guy by the name of James J.K. James K. A. Smith, 
has a book called Desiring the Kingdom. And he says this, being a disciple of Jesus is not primarily a matter of getting the right ideas and doctrines and beliefs into your head in order to guarantee proper behavior. Rather, it's a matter of being the kind of person who loves rightly, who loves God. Notice he didn't say it's not like not at all having right belief or not right action. It's all of those things. Because we need to have right belief. We need to have right practice. We need to have right affection. And be the kind of person who Jesus wants us to be. Because guess what's coming? You already know this. You've already experienced it. If you lived a minute in this world, you realize life doesn't go as you hope. I've been, I've been listening to a podcast recently, and it's called The God Who Disappoints. I mean, the, 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 just, that, just, that, uh, um, just that edition of the podcast. The podcast is called Voxology, but it's just that one. And the guy's talking about how often God disappoints. And you know that. You've experienced that. When life gets hard and struggles come and the waves and the winds begin to pound, the storms of life, they will hit you. And you all know that. We're going to go through them. But when you do, if your life is built on Jesus, on the rock, you will stay rooted, you will stay grounded, you will stay tethered, you will stay tied to the rock. Another hymn. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. But what does that mean? What does it mean to have Jesus as our rock? To have Jesus as our foundation over and above any other foundation, over any other thing? N.T. Wright says, Jesus' insights in the great warning which closes the Sermon on the Mount is that his hearers will be judged not even in their direct responses to God himself, but on whether they hear these words and do them or whether they let their ears enjoy the sounds of the word, but then leave them as a memory without doing anything about them. Doing what Jesus says or not, this makes the difference between a house that stays standing in a storm and a house that falls with a great crash. So in this text, Jesus is also confronting the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and saying, hey guys, what are you putting your foundation on? Because they were building their house on the sandy foundation. Because so often they would either have their beliefs not lead to actions or their actions were all based on selfish mode and selfish gain. And so Jesus is confronting them Confronting their belief, confronting their action, confronting their affection. All the wrong things. And so Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, his disciples, and just all of us, look, if you hear my words, it's not enough. It's the hearing and the doing. It's the listening and obeying. It's the head, the heart, and the hands. It's like a speaker I heard one time, and he said, if I told my daughter to go clean your room, and she went back to her room and wrote down, Dad said, go clean your room, and 
and I come back later, and she's sitting there, and the room is still a mess, and, she, and I say, hey, didn't I tell you to go clean your room? And she goes, yes, Dad. In fact, I wrote it down. I went to the dictionary, and I understood every single word you said. I understood what room meant and clean meant. I, I got friends together, and we parsed out every single word. We studied the meaning of the text. And we, and we, like, we, did a, we did a study of your words, and we know them by heart. We me- even memorized the way you said it. And then the father says, but you didn't clean your room. If we're all honest, how often have we done that? We've done Bible studies. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying Bible studies is not important. We've, we've parsed, and we've discussed, and we've wrestled with, and we've challenged, and we've confronted each other. But if we're not putting it into practice, we're not putting our life on the rock. But not only this, is he confronting the way of the Pharisees and the teachers of law. He's confronting the very systems that are in place in that people. In fact, there is a comparison that he's, he's, he's drawing between a sure foundation and a weak foundation. And he's saying, I'm the foundation you built on. And for a good Jewish person, that would have been anathema. Because a hundred miles down the road, so to speak, in the city of Jerusalem, there was another foundation that was currently being built. N.T. Wright again says this about the temple and its foundation. But we often miss what these first hearers would have probably heard behind, blind, behind the dramatic picture language. Not far away from where he sat, just 100 miles away from Jerusalem, Herod's men were continuing to rebuild the temple. They spoke of it as God's house and declared it was built upon the rock, proof against wind and weather. In his last great sermon in Matthew's gospel, Jesus wins the temple. With, Jesus warns that the temple itself will come crashing down because Israel as a whole has failed to respond to his message. Halfway through the gospel, in another dramatic moment, he promises that Peter's confession of faith will form the rock on which something very different will be built, the community that believes in him, Jesus as Messiah. So he's confronting the Jewish leaders. He's confronting the Jewish way of life in putting his trust in this temple. But he's also comparing and contrasting the way of empire and way of the kingdom. But he's also drawing upon... I mean, Jesus, the more you read Jesus, you realize it's a wealth of deep rootedness in the way of Israel and taking texts that many hearers would have known, they grew up on, they had memorized. And he's taking them and saying, this is about me. And so he, he's pulling text out of the Pentateuch and from wisdom literature of talking about how those things in the Pentateuch and the wisdom literature are always talking about putting into practice and doing and not just leaving it in your heart. And so Deuteronomy 5, right after the Ten Commandments are given, right after, we find this in verse 27. Go near and listen to all that the Lord our God says. Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. We will listen and obey. 
Jesus on the mountain and said, it's the ones who listen and put it into practice. Or we'll listen and we'll obey. And then in Deuteronomy 28, 15, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you like the wind and the waves and the crashing. If you don't listen, obey. If you don't hear and put into practice, the world will come crashing down. Proverbs 10, 8. The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 7. The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous stands firm. And fourteen eleven, The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. And so we step off this mountain. We get up from sitting at the feet of Jesus. We walk down off the mountain into our lives. And we want to flourish. And we want, our, we want people to flourish. We want our life to be built on the solid, firm foundation of Jesus and the way of the kingdom. To be a citizen of the kingdom, to live out the way of Jesus. And so when it's all said and done, did you hear the ending too? He says they were amazed because he had authority, unlike all his other teachers. Well, they caught the connection. They were sitting on a mountain hearing this teaching. They caught the connection to Moses and saying even more than Moses, this man has authority. So, as we sit, as we listen, as we've heard the whole thing today, when it all comes down to it, when we boil it all down, to be a citizen of God's kingdom, are people who hear the words of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and the encouragement of each other, we put it into practice. Kingdom citizens are ones who hear and obey, who listen and who do. And that sounds so easy, right? Oh, no problem. It's hard. If anyone tells you the way of Jesus is easy, they're lying to you and they're trying to sell you something. It is not easy. And so, James, or you know, think about it. James, the brother of Jesus. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourself, or so deceive yourself. Do what it says. And so let me finish with this quote, because I feel like it sums up very well the whole of the text. This is a, a guy by the name of Richard Beaton, who's associate professor at Fuller Theological Seminary. Jesus' words here balance the misunderstandings of Paul in today's Christian world that can be distorted into a gospel of grace without ethical demands. Jesus is not suggesting that a new law replace the old. Rather, love for and devotion to God must be accomplished accompanied by life that honors God, or put in another way, becoming a follower of Jesus is to decide to become a member of his society. Translation, citizen. And is marked by a willingness to live one's life according to the values, beliefs of that society, or kingdom, 
One becomes part of the people of God. Jesus' invitation is an invitation to an encounter with God and a different way of living life. This life will provide not only strength in the present to withstand the various storms that come our way, but also the final great storm that sees us through to an eternity with the Lord, to and for whom we have lived a life of devotion. Let me pray. Ah, Lord, you want us to hear and obey. You want us to listen and do. You want us to put our firm, our foundation, our life upon you and your rock. And that you will help us stand through those storms. So forgive us, God, of times that we haven't fully lived into the way of the kingdom. Forgive us of times that we've tried to do it in our own power and our own strength. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need each other. So, Lord, may we hear and obey. May we listen and may we do. And to live as a citizen of your kingdom. We pray in your name. Amen.